And again, good morning. Welcome to Bethany Northeast. I'm um, Silas. I'm lead pastor here. And so if you uh, are new here, we are so glad you're here. We want to welcome you. Also, if you're watching online, because of the snow, welcome up there, you guys. Um, did get a couple messages of people who would be joining us from out of town. So we are glad that you are here in this space. And I want to um, just highlight for us that over the next couple weeks going into Easter, we're going to start a new series called Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray, just as Taylor uh, invited and opened that up for us a little bit. And this series, Teach Us to Pray, is going to be engaging uh, predominantly the Lord's Prayer. And how do we uh, pray that through the different portions of that prayer that Christ taught his disciples how to say. And so five weeks, the series will go through Easter. After Easter, we're also going to go into another set of series uh, that is about listening. So we want to not just say prayer is speaking. Prayer is speaking and listening. But then we, after the series on prayer, want to create space to be intentional about being attentive being attentive to God in the world, being attentive to how we listen well. And so these are the things coming to us as we go into Easter. Each portion of the prayer will have prompts that will engage uh, through the weeks. And we also have a couple all-church opportunities for response. And so one thing that is coming towards Easter is we'll have a church-wide um, week of prayer, and we're excited about giving more details about what that looks like and how we can engage in that space. But for where we're going today, you know, as we're entering into talking about the Lord's Prayer, I I wanted to um, take time in this first sermon to just acknowledge that perhaps prayer uh, might be difficult, There might be things that keep us from wanting to engage in the practice of prayer. So we're going to look at a couple barriers to prayer. Um, But before we do that, let us prepare our hearts to receive in this time. Let's cover our time in listening with prayer. So join me as we pray. God, we're grateful for the gift of this day. We're grateful for this time to gather. We're grateful for this time to pause. We're grateful for this moment in our week to meet you. And though though we meet you uh, in all of the places that we engage people through the week, we pray that in this moment, in this morning, you would speak to us in profound ways. Shape how we talk to you. Make us talk like you. We pray this with Christ by the Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. So again, as we think about prayer, for people of faith, prayer is a vital, life-giving practice. For some of us, that's how we engage prayer. It's something that we do every day. It shapes how I engage God and neighbor. This is a good thing. Prayer as a vital, life-giving practice. But then also, sometimes in our life, if you've journeyed a bit, prayer can feel like a, a bit of a source of grief or disappointment, or disillusionment, that can be there as well. And so we recognize that prayer broadly, it's something that's just vulnerable to talk about. It's something that's vulnerable to do in community. It's vulnerable to do uh, even with people that we know well, in our families. Prayer can be a vulnerable space. 
today and in the weeks to come as we think about prayer and we engage portions of Christ's uh, directions to the disciples of how to pray, I want you to just be mindful of things that might be keeping us from engaging that practice fully. And so, if you would, raise your hand if you've ever had one of these thoughts. They're going to show up on the screen. But raise your hand if you've had one of these thoughts. I find prayer to be difficult. Life is full. I don't seem to have a lot of time. And so prayer can be difficult. I don't really get what prayer is for. I don't see the point of it. If you've ever thought that thought, raise your hand. As a person of faith, I know I'm supposed to pray, but sometimes I don't know what to pray. Yeah. What about this? Some of my most traumatic experiences have something to do with prayer. Anyone? Again, prayer is something that is deeply vulnerable. We're, we're talking about communing with, with God. We're talking about communing with the creator of the universe, the one who gives life, the one who is the very existence that we hold. And so in this recognition, in this recognition that this is a vulnerable place, this week, as I was preparing, there were a couple directions I was thinking about taking us to kick off this series. You know, all fruitful directions, all good directions. I was thinking, maybe we can look at prayer in different expressions of Christianity. So we can look at different traditions and how prayer functions in those traditions. That'd be a great thing. Or we could look at how acting in prayer is a way of participating in the triune life of God. Really rooting in, what does prayer do? How does it connect to God? Or another thought was exploring some of the most common refrains within the prayers of Scripture. Like looking at all the prayers that Jesus says, and what are the common threads that we can apply into our life? That's another way to think about prayer and engage that in the Scriptures. Again, all these angles I considered leading our discovery this week— but all of this, while it was swirling around, uh, I just didn't feel settled on it. And then, before we dive into next week's more tactical sermons about, hey, here are the portions of the Lord's Prayer. This is how you can engage what it's saying. I just really felt a pause to say, we need to have a frank conversation about prayer in the church. Just a really honest, robust conversation. Specifically, I want to focus on three common barriers that might keep us from praying. Three common barriers that might keep us from praying. I'm, uh, as I'm sharing these, I want to highlight, I am chief among all of us <laughs> for uh, not engaging in prayer in a way that looks perhaps devout, um, there's just ways that the things I highlight, I'm preaching to myself, and I want to highlight that to open up space. We are doing this together, and let us seek God in the weeks to come as we think about prayer. So the first common barrier to praying, the thing that keeps us from praying, maybe it's this, busyness. Busyness. I don't have to tell you that life can fill up fast, um, 
Tell me if this resonates with you. When COVID kind of first came on the scene and everything slowed down, we just altered all of our patterns, our rhythms, how we spent our time, where we worked, um, how we played, how we played with other people, how we spent our time. It felt like the world kind of slowed down for a season. And then for those with the means to do so, many of us, you know, we were able to recalibrate priorities about what does life look like? I'm going to take more time for like slow brunch with the family. That's a fun thing. Or I'm going to just slow down life itself and be present with who's in front of me. So Two years ago, three years ago, maybe that's where we found ourselves. We, we, we found that time stretched wider than we'd been used to. It, it didn't come without challenges, to be sure, right? Filling up time or making sense of the, uh, the, the destabilizing nature of the time around us. But time felt like we had more of it. It slowed down. Life slowed down. However, as we've all kind of grown accustomed to living with the realities of COVID, as life has started to ramp up again, uh, there's no shortage of things that are kind of vying for our attention, things that take energy, that take time. You know, work, maybe new school rhythms, new school schedules, maybe ramped up activities, making up for lost time, different responsibilities in the last year. Perhaps you have felt like everyone around you is making up for lost time. And so you need to do the same. Life is full. A barrier to entry that we might have with prayer is the time, energy, and space required to pray. Who has the time to pray? Again, this might not be you, but this can be a common barrier to having a consistent prayer life. Life gets full. We get busy. Here's another common barrier that keeps us from praying. If the first one's busyness, the second one is bewilderment. Bewilderment. Another barrier that can keep us from pressing into prayer might be bewilderment. When we step back and think about it, prayer is a strange thing. Again, we already named. It's vulnerable. It's communing. It's talking with God. Generally speaking, Christians believe that in prayer we speak to God, the creator of the universe. And somehow, somehow that makes a difference in the world. Theologian, uh, Anglican priest, Sarah Coakley, she talks about how prayer is like this. There's a certain paradox at the heart of Christian prayer. There's a paradox at the heart of Christian prayer. Because she's going to talk about how in Christian prayer, we have in the scriptures different ways of framing out how we even engage the practice of prayer. So she says, like Romans 8, if we read this passage, uh, it begins Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, likewise, 
the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray. I'll say that again. We do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So Sarah Coakley, she talks about how, on the one hand, like, Paul, he's read the scriptures. He's journeyed. He's prayed the the Lord's Prayer over and over again. And he can say, we don't know how to pray. And when we don't know, the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs and groans too deep for words. But face value, we don't know how to pray. What do we do with that? On one side, we don't know how to pray. And then on the other side, in Luke 11, we're told that Jesus, he was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves uh, forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. We have this paradox within the Christian faith that we don't know how to pray, and we're told how to pray. Over the next few weeks, we'll unpack a theology of prayer that can help us hold the, this paradox in tension. We can hold both of these things. Again, as Sarah says, we have Paul who invites us to say, we don't know how to pray. We have Jesus who says, when you pray, this is what you do. Well, for most of our series, we'll spend a lot of time diving into Luke 11 in how to pray. But today... I want us to continue just spending a bit more time in the other side of that paradox. In the Romans 8 portion of the portion, we don't know how to pray. The part where the Spirit intercedes and groans when we don't have the words. A barrier to entry that we might have with prayer uh, is kind of the futility of it all. Does prayer work? There's plenty to unpack when it comes to our bewilderment in prayer. And this is one of those other common barriers. Busyness is one. Bewilderment is another. Here's the last one. It's not the only one, but one that stands out for us. Maybe the third barrier to keep us from praying is that we've been burned by prayer. We've been busy. We're bewildered by it. And then more personally, we've been burned by it. A final barrier that keeps us from pressing into prayer is kind of the combination of the first two, but it's in reverse, right? Like, who has time to pray? Maybe we've made time to pray. Faithfully devoting time to pray. Energy to seek the Lord. Maybe we've, we've checked off. We've, we've solved the busyness. And same with bewilderment. Like, you've read the scriptures, you've done the classes, you've uh, lined up the practices, you've made peace with the paradoxes, 
You've claimed the promises. So in the bewilderment, you've sorted that out. But still, in prayer, you've been burned. You've made it so that bewilderment wouldn't stop you from praying to God. And still, even if you've made the time you've believed with your whole self, the third barrier comes and keeps us from praying that maybe we've just been burned by prayer. And this is where the pain of grief and disappointment that's multiplied exponentially when we've prayed our hearts out and we still experience tragedy, that can be enough to make us want to give up on everything. A barrier to entry that we might have with prayer is pain. It hurts too much to open myself up again in prayer. Busyness, bewilderment, being burned. I don't have time. It doesn't work. It hurts too much. I've asked this a couple times, but I'll ask again. Does anyone relate to these? Yeah. Some of you know this story. My dad's first wife passed away when my oldest brother was six years old. And um, she got uh, breast cancer. And in a few months, pretty quickly, passed. And my brother and two oldest brother, or my dad and my two oldest brothers left from British Columbia. They went to Toronto, left the West Coast. Uh, he was doing art and that kind of stuff in Vancouver. Left all of that, went into business. And eventually, a couple years later, my dad married my mom. And when my twin and I, um, I have a twin, he's in California. When we were six years old, my mother got breast cancer. My mother. The thing is, like, she lived. And I'll cut the long story short, but my mom didn't receive chemo or any treatment. One day she had a very large lump that the biopsy said was cancerous. And a little while later, when she went in for treatment, the doctors couldn't find anything. Like, we still have the, the, the x-rays, right? the positive and the negative. So one day it's there, six weeks later, it's not. No lump, no tumor, nothing. Now, some of you know I grew up in a Pentecostal home. Uh, lots of praying, lots of church, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Tuesday night prayer meeting, youth, junior high, like five days a week, right? <laughs> you're, you're there, you're doing it. Um, And almost every service in our expression of Christianity, it involved prayer in a really highly involved, embodied expression, right? So you come to the altar, or there's the laying on of hands, or you anoint with oil, you move your body. I grew up with prayer like that being a big part of my family's life, of my life. And it wasn't until maybe a couple years ago that I talked to my dad about what was it like to go through that a second time. I'd never thought about it. But what was that like? I talked to him because I remember that, I remember the prayer meetings we had with my mom. I remember like the fervency. I remember the amount of times we went to church and we went to the front and we got anointed and my mom received prayer. I remember all of that. I remember my dad praying, groaning, interceding, crying. Also, just like in Asian culture, 
tears are not really uh, valued from men. It's just kind of tucked away. And so to see him moved in such a way uh, is a big, it was a big thing. I haven't seen my, my father cry many times. So when I talked to my dad, I asked him, how could you keep on praying? Like, how could you continue to hold on to faith? And this is what he said. He said, I could keep praying because of all the other prayers that God had answered in other unexplainable ways. Because of all the other prayers that God had answered in other unexplainable ways. What he meant by that was ways that brought him life and love that he had never expected to have again. In very real ways, he pointed to my twin and myself. He said, you guys answered a prayer. You're an answer to prayer. My mother is a survivor. and From a very young age, she bore the perpetuated effects of broken love from her parents. And they themselves had not been loved well, so the cycle went on, and no one was loved well in her, on her side of the family. And that showed in how she was treated. And so the result of this was that my mom had um, early menopause, right? uh, medically diagnosed. She hadn't had her time of the month for decades by the time that she met my dad. After they got married... One time at a small group meeting, a couple years, they'd been married. And a pastor jokingly asked and said, like, when are the kids coming? And that's when they responded and kind of shared the details and said, yeah, we can't really have kids. We're not going to be having kids. Um, it's, just not, it's just not possible. And as a group, again, Pentecostal church, and so they decided to pray for my parents. And in their prayers, my dad said, let's pray for twins. So they can keep each other company. And he said that. And so also, that happens. Right? Like, we, a miracle, quote unquote, takes place. My twin and I are born nine months later. Now hear me, like, this doesn't solve any questions at all. Right? Like, this doesn't resolve any tension. If nothing else, like, stories like this raise more questions for us. Like, why did one mother pass and another get healed? What do we do with all the times when people pray desperately for kids and it doesn't materialize in the ways that we're longing for? I can share in my life, my twin and his family are trying to start a family and Abby and I are growing our family, right? There's this tension. Like, it doesn't solve the questions at all. It just raises more questions. Does this mean, like, we don't have enough faith or if you don't get the thing you're looking for or if it doesn't shape out? Does that happen? What does this say about God? These are the questions that come up when we think about barriers to prayer, barriers to entry. And here's the rub. I don't know. I can't answer any one of those questions with an explanation that captures all the angles of complexity. My instinct when it comes to experiences of brokenness as a theologian uh, is that we all share in life uh, and we share a life where sin runs deep in our world. 
my instinct as one who has grown up praying a lot is to remember that where sin runs deep, God's grace is more. And the hope of our faith is that God is making all things new. Events that seemed finished to us are not over for God. This is one of the Christian claims, right? In Christianity, we claim that God is not bound by time or space. And that God is the one that we invite and long for to make all things right. So my grandparents, they will be made whole enough to love their daughter well. Like, my older brothers will share life with their mother. In the midst of sorrow, this is what Christians cling to. In prayer, we cling to a God who doesn't violate creation by controlling all of creation so that no one has agency. Instead, we, in prayer, cling to a God who is and who will be making things right. The hope God offers us is this. And this is from a book that I read yesterday. Um, Tish Warren Harrison. It's a great book. Just if you're, if for the season to come, if you're looking for a book on prayer, I highly recommend this one. I couldn't put it down. Just... There's so much richness in her story. It's called A Prayer, Prayer in the Night for Those Who Work or Watch or Weep. And hear what she has to say about the hope of God and prayer. The hope God offers us is this. He will keep close to us even in darkness, in doubt, in, in fear and vulnerability. He does not promise to keep bad things from happening. He does not promise that night will not come, or that it will not be terrifying, or that we will immediately be tugged to shore. He promises that we will not be left alone. He will keep watch with us in the night. Ultimately, we don't ask for, for a creator who can explain himself. We ask for a friend in time of grief. A true judge in times of perplexity. A wider hope than we can manage in time or despair. If we suffer deeply, there is no explanation, no reason, no answer that can ease our heartbreak. The only comfort that can do anything is the comfort of feeling yourself loved. The comfort of feeling yourself loved. Busyness. Bewilderment. Or being burned. In prayer, all of the explanations that we would have that try and parse out these different things. In prayer, one thing that we don't want to lose sight of is that we are communing with someone who loves. We're communing with someone who beyond expectation and imagination, beyond explanation, loves you. And meets you. And invites you to meet him in prayer. I know some of you have experienced the pain of prayer, too. We started Lent this week. And as we journey with Christ towards the cross, if you feel yourself having barriers to prayer, I hope that you'll stick with us in the weeks to come.
I can't promise that we will answer every question, but we will create space to feel loved. If nothing else, that is what we hope this series does. We want to be equipped with practices that help us pray well, with resources that can give us words when we don't have the words to pray. But outside of all of that, a space to feel loved, that's a great place to start. And I hope that as we explore prayer, we'll find healing, we'll find encouragement, we'll find inspiration, we'll find conviction, we'll, love, uh, we'll find love of self, love of neighbor, and most of all, communion with God that presses us into all of these things. I was thinking of ways to invite us to commit to prayer. Commit to the next several weeks. And I was struck by thinking about fire. How fire is never static, right? Like fire is always a dynamic relationship between oxygen and fuel and heat. And as soon as one of those pulls off, the light and the heat that it puts off starts to fade. It doesn't die right away, but it starts to fade. Fire isn't a static object. Fire is a dynamic process. We call it like it's an object, but it's always in motion. And when those three things, the fuel, right, the, the oxygen, the heat, when those three things come together, when they work together, the effect of the fire, you can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it. It's felt by other people. Friends, this is kind of like prayer. In a similar way, trusting the Lord, praying is a dynamic process. Trust and prayer, they're not static acts that we perform. Praying to the Lord as a process, understood as a process, is made of God moving towards us. The invitation of God inviting us towards him. And it's our movement towards God. And God's movement through us into the world. It's in this way that we can pray that Christ is all around us. As God moves towards us, as we move towards God, and as God moves through us into the world. A dynamic process. If nothing else, why does prayer matter? Because when those three things are held in tension, people can feel the light. Feel the heat, sorry. They can see the light. <laughs> they can feel the heat. You can hear the sounds. It's tangible. It makes impact. So I want to end with another quote from uh, theologian and pastor Brian Bantam. He had this book that felt right to end um, as we were doing our last service in Black History Month on uh, the book's called Redeeming Mulatto. And this is by Brian Bantam. I want you to listen to this quote and this word that I think is so spot on. He says, Through the prayers of the faithful and the transformation possible in these moments, in these moments of gathering, and these moments of prayer, the participants themselves enter into the risk of the one who prayed for them. The prayers of the faithful lead us to enter into a transgressive love 
that requires relationships and desires to confront and disrupt. This disruption is intentional, but also it embodies a profound presence in the world that continually defies. It defies the powers against us. It defies the things that are breaking us. Prayerful presence in the world is the divine child born of a virgin whose very being in the world confronts the world with the reality of redemption. Now catch this. And God's presence among the faithful who lives, uh, whose lives are defined only by a reception to say yes in prayer. Yes to God's promise. What's he saying? He's saying that in the act of prayer, the world is transformed, we are transformed, and we're transformed because as we commit to engaging and communing with God, we're committing to have our lives submitted to the one who has died for the sake of the world. It calls us to do the same. So these barriers, right? Busyness, bewilderment, things that keep us from engaging God. Having been burned. It felt redemptive in some ways to invite us as we worship and pray back to this station over here. All through the last five weeks in our First John series, we have wrote confessions on post-it notes. Things that are the first step of healing in our life. Naming, the, naming things that are, are taking our life. Naming things that are uh, destroying us. Naming sin. And so we invited all through the last weeks to write on a post-it note and put it on the cross as a first step and a sign to say, God, I'm committing in this moment to make it right and to find the help that I need. And many of you did that. So many did. What we did was we took all of those confessions and we burnt them and we turned them into the ashes for Ash Wednesday. And we made those ashes and said, whether you put that on your body on Ash Wednesday or whether you scatter it, scatter it into the ground, there's something to be said about how that image of our uh, confessions being the, the launching point of naming Christ in our lives and also of bringing flourishing to come from the garden, there's something beautiful about that interaction, the way that shapes. In the same way as we launch into this new series and we think about this prayer as a dynamic thing, something that requires fuel, right? something that is the weaving together of God coming to us, us moving to God, and God going through us into the world. It felt right to have candles for us. And so we have black ones, similar to what the ash color is. And I want you, if you feel moved to, to commit in the next season to engage in prayer. Don't check out. And engage this first step by lighting this off the Christ candle. That big white pillar candle is, in liturgical traditions, known as a Christ candle. It's one that symbolizes the life of God coming to us. So in liturgical traditions, they'd light it here in the middle space. And you'd probably do it during um, Advent. Christ is with us. You'd also uh, have other ways of... Uh, engaging those practices. For us, we're not the most liturgical in that, in that fashion or expression, but we can leverage some of the practices in the church. 
When we talk about not having words in prayer, this is where church tradition starts to speak. Where we don't have to have the words because we're not the first people to experience tragedy in our lives. Uniquely, we have things in our life that we will be the first to experience. But the brokenness of the world has been there and every step of the way, so has Christ. And so we invite you in the time to come, um, and just as the band comes up, that we will take time to meditate, light a candle, commit to prayer, put that in the sand, and let that be the first step in this series to come as something that uh, impresses us to engage prayer well. Again, next week, the weeks to come, we're going to break up the Lord's Prayer. So we'll do sections of it. It's going to be really engaging. And we also have prayer prompts that you can take home that are going to be a little different. So it's not just a repeat um, of Sunday morning. But through this next month, ways you can think about the prayers that, uh, that have been gone before us. And to engage God in new ways. Friends, let us commit this season, though, to engaging God, encountering God. And as we do this, and as we sing and worship, um, let me pray over us. Receive this prayer as we go into our next movement. God, we are grateful again for the gift of this day. It's right to name that every time we breathe and every time we, uh, we come into your presence, every time we pray. We are grateful for your gift. The gift of life that animates all of the world around us. We pray that in this season, in the next weeks, that you would redeem places in our lives that need redemption. You would heal what needs to be healed. You would press us and inspire us and move us in ways that extend beyond what we've known. That you are a relational God and you desire uh, intimacy with us. Hear the cries of our hearts, open us up to who you are. And in that opening, meet us in the weeks to come. God, we pray this with Christ by the power of the Spirit. And everyone said, amen. Friends, let's worship together.